If we'd had more time, I would have read more uh, of the gospel. Well, because the gospel is great to read, but also because uh, this passage is preceded by uh, a previous story about a blind man who was healed by Jesus and who, as a result uh, of that healing and his commitment to Jesus, was thrown out of the community by the religious leaders. And so, um, this blind man who's questioned is probably in this uh, audience that Jesus is speaking to, as is uh, probably the religious leaders, and uh, probably also just a bunch of folks standing around listening to Jesus say these words about the shepherd and the sheep. And so I wonder what would happen if we placed ourselves in this audience, if we placed ourselves right in that situation and were listening to Jesus. I think if, if we were, it would mean that we as hearers would have recalled Ezekiel 34, the passage that we read. Its description of the bad shepherds. As we heard in that lesson, they were bad because they fed themselves instead of the sheep. They didn't strengthen the weak. They didn't heal the sick. They didn't bind up the wounded. They they didn't bring back the stray. They didn't seek the lost. At one point, Jesus refers to them as hired hands. And that reminds me of a job I had as a detective in a department store while I was getting my doctorate. Um, Had to make some money, so I thought, that's not a bad job. Actually, I wasn't very good at it. I have a rather optimistic view of people, and so I had a hard time catching people. But I, (laughs) I did determine that if anyone was uh, threatening my life uh, for the sake of a TV or a piece of clothing, I would take my, uh, my store bag that had in it my walkie-talkie, lay it down on the floor, put my hands up, and say, take it all. I was a hired hand. I didn't care as much about the merchandise as maybe some others And that's exactly how Ezekiel describes these shepherds that Jesus is referring to because they really don't care about the sheep and they deserted them and the sheep were scattered left to the wolves. But God would rescue them. The text says God went out and looked for them. Even when no shepherds will search for them, when Jesus heard that the bad shepherds, the religious leaders, had driven that blind man out of the religious community comes at the very end of chapter 9, Jesus went out, it says, and found the man. Because Jesus is the good shepherd who goes looking for the the lost sheep, just the one, just the one. By the way, um, we're a seeker church. All churches should be seeker churches. Not because we're waiting for people to seek us, because we are the ones like Jesus who go out and seek those. And do note, these bad shepherds that Jesus also describes as hired hands and thieves in John 10, they're the Pharisees. They're religious leaders who who want seriously to protect God's truth. These weren't bad people. These people had good intentions. In fact, if Jesus was... Uh, compared to any of the religious groups in Judaism at this time, he would have been most closely related to the Pharisees. I mean, these were folks who knew their Bible 
and they ferociously cared about the piety of the Jewish people. But they were not Christ-centered. They were not Christ-centered as the blind man in the previous chapter was. They did not come to the sheep by the gate, the truth in life way. Instead, they came by another way. Maybe by the way of, of, of doctrinal systems, for instance. They had all their doctrinal system worked out, and that would be the way. Reminds me of a time when uh, my wife, Trebek, and I were having a rather heated conversation with a person who also knew his Bible very well and wanted to protect God's truth. He even devised meticulous charts of Bible prophecy. Rather impressive, too. And because he's a follower of some rather doctrinaire Bible teachers, it's either his way or no way. And finally, after listening to his shouted pontifications about the only way to understand the creation account in Genesis 1, Trebekah and I, Trebekah actually, uh, she's a better Christian than I am, so she asked this question. <laughs> Trebekah asked him if he had engaged in any local Christian ministry, if he ever helped out people in need. You know, if you ever lived out the Bible that he was defending. Well, he didn't. But Trebekah then asked him, um, then how do people know that you're a disciple of Jesus? He said, well, they, they see me, the, my coworkers see me reading my Bible in the morning before work. Now I'm thinking of Ezekiel's description of the bad shepherds at this point. And I hear the response of the man who was encountered by Jesus and healed by him, all I know is that I was blind, and now I see. These religious leaders of Jesus' day, whose people were oppressed by Roman occupation of their land, uh, also had a focus on, um, on Jewish nationalism. They wanted to help their people escape from underneath the, uh, the Roman occupation. And that was just as dangerous as their self-righteous piety. You know, some Christians in Nazi Germany had to be reminded of the danger of confusing nationalism and super-patriotism that, that linked racial purity and the superiority of, of the German folk with, with their Christian faith. And so leaders of the confessing church like Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer compared, uh, composed a Barman Declaration the Debarment Declaration that specifically referred in its first thesis to the text that we are considering today in the gospel. After quoting John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and John 10, about the thief and the robber who enter by another way than by Jesus, the gate, they declared this, Jesus Christ, as he has attested to us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. We reject the false doctrine as though the church could and would have to acknowledge as a source of its proclamation, apart from and besides the one word of God, still other events and powers, figures and truths as God's revelation. And so in this election year, there have been and there will continue to be those religious folks who will mix Jesus with other sources of revelation from past or present politicians or national heroes or economists 
whether they are on the right or the left. And then instead of centering their proclamation on the one word of God, Jesus Christ, they will lead Jesus in tow, bound in the chains of their political agenda, just as the religious leaders of Jesus' day bound him to a cross because of their religious and political agenda. You know, it's ironic. The healed blind man in chapter 9, he's the one who represented the true shepherd because he's the one who points Jesus, points people to Jesus even in the midst of opposition. He's the one who answers in effect, I don't know about your religious dogmatism. I don't know about your political agenda. All I know is that I was blind and now because of Jesus I see. By the way, many of us are tempted to listen to other voices, other, other wayers besides the way, those who declare the way of religious pluralism, the Oprahs of our culture, who declare that there are other ways to get into the sheepfold, other ways based on human conceptions of spirituality. And, and these are like the ones condemned in 1 John who refuse to acknowledge their sin because in the end, sin is wanting to live by your own story, not by placing yourself in God's story. But Jesus says that the ones that know the voice of the true shepherd, the good shepherd, they'll run for their lives because they do not recognize the sound of ones who are not like the authentic shepherd. They don't sound like Jesus whether they're religious zealots or religious pluralists. But then, if we were in this crowd, as Jesus' listeners, Jesus' hearers, we would also have associated his sermon with Psalm 23 that we all shared in today. Because in, in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I, in the Greek, it's I. I am he, the good shepherd. And they would have resonated with that. And so he's good, and first we have to understand because this concept of good is not like, you know, that, that, that picture of the, the nice guy holding the, the lamb, you know? That's not what good means here. What, it's not some syrupy, sentimental thing. What good means here is somebody who's noble, somebody who has honorable character. And so he's good because he's the way into the place of protection, and he's the way out as he leads people, the, the sheep, to other pastures. But this shepherd is also particularly good because he's the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one who will uh, place his own life at risk in order to protect the sheep. Not protecting us in the worldly ways of violence and attack, but protecting us by giving up his life. He does this because the text says he knows his sheep in a, in a way that, did you catch that? It's as intimate as God the Father knows God the Son. That's how intimately he knows us, his sheep. Because as John's first letter insists over and over again, he knows us because he became one of us. First John rejects the teaching of the false shepherds who claim to know God apart from his appearance in the flesh, in Jesus. The central truth of Christianity is that the good shepherd knows his sheep because he became the paschal lamb. The shepherd became one of the sheep. 
And that's why as we read Psalm 23, as Christians, we declare as Christians our commitment and trust in the only one, Jesus, who will support, will provide support, provide guidance, provide protection. Jesus is the shepherd who restores souls, who, who leads us into the paths of righteousness, who goes with us through danger, who spreads the Holy Supper before us in the presence of sin and death, our enemies. The one who pursues us in gracious love all the days of our life. Compare that to the thief that Jesus describes, the religious leaders who would suck the spiritual life out of us with a blind man. Compare that with a blind man who is found by the compassionate Jesus who goes to that man, who seeks that man out when he hears that the religious leaders have driven him out of the community. In fact, here in this text, just the chapter before, just as it ends before we read this text today, the only place in the Gospels where it says that a person worships Jesus, uses the word worship of Jesus. This man has been sought out. But again, notice this. This trust takes place in the desert. I mean, his hearers would have understood that a shepherd is in a place of danger, of harm, of persistent enemies, of opposition, of, in this case, being kicked out. And the trust that Psalm 23 is speaking of has nothing to do with rose-colored glasses. I know we super sentimentalize Psalm 23. It has nothing to do with sentimental rose-colored glasses. The good shepherd prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. In fact, if the key event of Jesus' mission as the good shepherd is to lay down his life for his sheep, then he expects no less of us who are his shepherd underlings. Even if the world doesn't recognize us, as 1 John says, we are claimed by God. We are claimed by his steadfast love as his children. And that should be good enough, but realize this. It's a dangerous and costly thing to be loved and claimed by God. It's a dangerous and costly thing. As you are encountered by Jesus this next week, keep in mind that that, that, that God's sightings may not necessarily be joy-filled events. I mean, the centurion had a God sighting as he declared, surely this is the Son of God as he watched Jesus tortured and killed. And the blind man who was healed had a literal God sighting, Finally. But the context for his God sighting was his rejection because of his insistence that the healer was the only one in whom they should put their trust. And then finally, let's say we're part of that crowd again. We're part of that audience. Jesus' hearers would have been able to relate to the occupation of sheep herding in a way that most of us in suburban Orange County do not. <laughs> They would have understood the dangers of the desert that we've already talked about, but they also would have understood that Jesus was what he was talking about when he said that the sheep recognize his voice. The sheep know the, not only the voice of the shepherd, they might know the, the flute tune of the shepherd. I love the connection that, that this makes with the story of the blind man in the previous chapter. Think about it. The only clue that this man had to the healer's identity before he was healed 
was his voice. That's all he had. And at the end of the chapter, Jesus gently helps him to make a connection between the voice that healed him and the man that is now standing before him. And when the blind man who can now see recognizes the voice, he worships and follows the shepherd. One of my former colleagues at Wheaton College, a guy, a New Testament scholar, Gary Burge, spent a lot of time in Israel. And he tells this story. I'm going to read it because I want to get it right. But it tells this story about Arab shepherds who know their sheep personally. He wrote, During the Palestinian uprising in the late 1980s, the Israeli army decided to punish a village near Bethlehem for not paying its taxes. The officer in command rounded up all of the village animals and placed them in large barbed wire pen. Later in the week, he was approached by a woman who begged him to release her flock, arguing that since her husband was dead, the animals were her only source of livelihood. Well, he pointed to the pen and containing hundreds of animals and humorously quipped that it was impossible because he couldn't find her animals. She asked if she could, in fact, separate them herself. Would he be willing to let her take them? He agreed. A soldier opened the gate, and the woman's son produced a small reed flute. He played a simple tune again and again, and soon sheep heads began popping up across the pen. The young boy continued his music and walked home, followed by his flock of 25 sheep. See, the question for us this morning is this. How can we hear and recognize the good shepherd's voice? Not just God sightings this week, but God soundings. It's difficult in our situation, huh? I mean, for one thing, we live in what Microsoft researcher Linda Stone called a state of continuous partial attention. She said, uh, look, if being fulfilled is about committing yourself to someone else or some experience that requires a level of sustained attention, then we're in trouble since sustained attention is just the skill we are losing. For one thing, it leads to what one person labeled SAD, spiritual attention deficit disorder. Even hear the good shepherd's voice this week, let alone recognize it, you might have to turn off some of what is clamoring for your partial attention. Maybe even go on a, on a media fast today. Who knows? Maybe God will call you instead. But we also need to be trained, trained to hear his voice. Not just to hear it, but trained to hear it. And there's a story I relate in Monk Habits about a naturalist and his friend who were walking down a busy New York City sidewalk one day. And the naturalist stopped in his tracks and said, listen, do you hear that cricket? And his friend said, how can you hear a cricket in the midst of all this noise? The naturalist said, without answering, he just, what he did was he pulled out a quarter and dropped it on the sidewalk. And immediately, everybody turned around and looked. And then the naturalist said to his friend, you see, we hear what we're trained to hear. Bad shepherds train us to hear the untruth, as John warns in his letter. Or they might train us to confuse the voice of the good shepherd with political, economic, or super patriotic voices, compromising the voice who said, I am the only way to truth and life. So we've got to be trained to hear his voice. Maybe we train by spending time with him in the morning, 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, uh, the prayer of the morning determines the day. If I could paraphrase Bonhoeffer, I'd say, the time you spend with Jesus in the morning will determine how well you recognize his voice during the day. Maybe we're being trained to hear his voice by practicing the discipline of listening as we do each Sunday before the service begins or after the reading of each scripture passage. We're participating in a deep and quiet countercultural movement, even among the churches. In a book that I highly recommend to you, oh, time for a commercial. Uh, get this book. It's by Leighton Ford. It's called The Attentive Life, Discerning God's Presence in All Things. This is a great book. During our times of God sightings and God soundings, this is really good. Leighton Ford was um, oh, he's Billy Graham's uh, son-in-law. And just remember, if you can't remember, the car maker, Ford, and uh, the attentive life. And in the attentive life, um, Leighton Ford writes, a teacher friend who is busy lecturing at seminary all week and preaches most Sundays at growing evangelical churches, big ones, you know, tells me that Early each Sunday morning, he has begun going to an Anglican church down the road. Wow, there's a surprise. Um, because there he can quiet his soul in the silence before venturing into the busyness of the day of rest. So practice listening in silence. And then perhaps we can train ourselves to hear and recognize the Good Shepherd's voice this week by refusing the siren call of Fox or CNN or talk radio. In fact, why not turn those off, especially during the election season, and spend the same amount of time or even a quarter of that time reading the Gospels? Remember this, the voice of the Good Shepherd is not simply to call you into the place of protection but it's to lead you out as well. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus reordained Peter. He reordained Peter by asking him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? In other words, Peter, am I really the center of your life? Am I your desire above all else? Am I the tune that you keep hearing in your head all the time? And if the answer is yes, then Jesus says to Peter and to us, then feed my sheep. We are led to the other sheep, the sheep that Jesus has that have not yet been brought in to the fold. Those spoken about in this gospel passage this morning who are not of this flock, but whom we need to seek. Augustine once said, God has some people the church doesn't have, and the church has some people that God doesn't have. But whether outside or inside, we need to listen to the shepherd's voice because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the proclamation of the Word of God. And that is the Word of God. Amen.